Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. known fact about my guest today. She really wasn't one of those young musical theater nerds. It really took her a while to understand that this was going to be her life. And for the rest of us who have gotten to see her in Passing Strange and Oklahoma and all the incredible musicals she's been a part of, the idea of not having a Broadway with Rebecca Naomi Jones is impossible to comprehend. So lucky for us, she found it. And we get to be huge fans and receivers of her gorgeous, gorgeous voice and acting skills and heart. So welcome, Rebecca Naomi Jones, to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Rebecca. Yes. We did it. We're recording a podcast and we are across the country from each other. We're so impressive. We are impressive. I'm impressed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, when, so let me ask you, when, when Broadway shut down, mm-hmm. um, I know you left Oklahoma in January? Or yeah. Fe- when did you leave that show? Yeah, we closed um, January 19th. I had been in and out um since I guess November, because I had uh, gotten this mini series that uh, shoots in Atlanta, so I had been um, in and out for a couple of weeks at a time um, since then. But but I did. I'm so glad about it. I did. Um, I was able to come back and um, continue to be in the show as much as possible, and I was able to close out the show on January 19th. Oh, that's so amazing, yeah. and also to know. You know, so many of us who were working at the time had no idea our last show was our last show. It all happened so abruptly. So the idea that, not that it's ever easy to say goodbye. Sure. Like, it doesn't really matter how long you know, um, but at least there's closure. That's right. I know my my heart broke when I thought about all of the people who didn't get to have that closure and didn't get to say goodbye, and and the people who... um, you know, we're in previews or we're in tech and just, you know, especially for the off-Broadway shows, it's like those shows run not for very long. So yeah, they're definitely, exactly. Those are not shows that will come back. I mean, it's also up in the air right now in the world and obviously health is the most important thing. And there are so many, um, there are so many ways that our community keeps figuring out how to be creative and share the work. It's actually been so inspiring and beautiful to kind of see all the ways in which people are sharing, raising money. Um, when you, just to just to follow up on what you said, when you were in Atlanta shooting something, which many, because you have done, along with all of your incredible theater credits, I named a bunch of 
film and TV things that you've worked on. Which mm-hmm. one were you doing in Atlanta at the time? Um, I'm working on this uh, this series for Nat Geo called Genius. They, they did the um, the first one was about Einstein that starred that starred uh, Jeffrey Rush, and the second one was about Picasso, and it starred. Um, uh, Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas. How could I forget? <laughs> well, because your brain was like, I love him, but I'm in a relationship, so it's wrong. I really so was. Honestly, I was trying to get myself to not say, who is that very attractive man? Um, exactly. Because we're all at home working with our <laughs> husbands and partner. It's like we got to be very cool right now. That's right. Keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together, girl. <laughs> anyway, yes. And I know that Cynthia Erivo is playing Aretha Franklin. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. I didn't realize that that is still happening, that you hadn't finished shooting. Yeah. So we were, we had started, I mean, we had done, started pre-pro in November, which is why I had started missing shows for Oklahoma then. But we started shooting, I want to say, oh, maybe December or, or January, I think December. And we were supposed to end, um early April, but then there was actually a cast change. They made a change after we um, shot the first episode. And so uh, we were running behind schedule about three weeks. So we were supposed to, the, the second end was, what end date was supposed to be April 15th. And we were in the middle of episode six out of eight, um, mid-March when production got suspended, just like everything else. So, you know, you you have one of the most beautiful voices on the planet. Oh my God. Thank you. And you're welcome. You're welcome. That's just a fact. That's not even, you know, my subjective opinion. These are research facts. (laughs) If you look up the most beautiful voice on the planet, there are, there are a few of them. There's not just one, maybe it's voices. Um, You know, I know in doing a little bit of research about you, um, that you are one of my few guests who were born and raised in New York. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I'm in Brooklyn right now. Mm-hmm. I know I looked and saw where you went to middle school, which was a Brooklyn private school. Uh, yeah, that was where I went to high school, actually. Yeah. Oh, high school with Berkeley Carroll. Mm-hmm. So so did you grow up in Brooklyn or did you grow up in Manhattan? I grew up in Manhattan. I grew up in Tribeca before it became Fancy Pants. Uh-huh. Um, it was, I, I, I always describe it as like when I was growing up, it was a place where like old hippies and artists raised their kids. It felt like so. Are your parents hippies and artists? Yeah, my dad was a musician. He was um, actually a longtime music director of the uh, duop group, the Cadillacs. Um, wow! Yeah, so talk about music in your life. Yeah, yeah, or in your living room. Yeah, it was unavoidable. It was. Um, yeah, I have the best memories of my dad coaching because even when he wasn't working with the Cadillacs, he was coaching other duop oldies groups, so um, girl groups and and. Uh, guy groups. And so my childhood memories are filled with various groups, um, you know, coming in the house. And my dad, my dad was really had an amazing ear for harmonies. And so he, he would just drill, drill, drill. And so I just grew up with, with harmonies all the time. And were you singing, were you singing also? Yeah. Very young age. Oh yeah. Very young age. I, um, I definitely, knew I loved singing and loved music from from when I was very, very tiny. And um, 
my parents. Would you sing with your dad? A little bit. I was, you know, I have regrets over it. I, I, I used to feel sort of like, like I didn't want to sing with him. I felt like, like, I don't know. I felt pressured about it. And I felt like my dad was so, I don't know. For some reason I used to, he'd always wanted us to do stuff together. And occasionally we did like for a dance concert or something at my school, I would like, he would come and play and I would sing, but, um, but a lot of the time I sort of shied away from that. I like, I wanted to do my own thing. Of course. You know, of course. It's natural. But um, yeah. Was your mom, art is, are, are your parents alive? My mom is alive. Yeah. My dad passed in 2008. My mom is a photographer. Um, and actually this is kind of a, a special thing. I mean, she, she has been a photographer her whole life. She's been an artist her whole life, but she kind of um, put that, part of herself a way to raise me. And mm-hmm. are you an only child? I am an only child, but I promise I'm not spoiled. <laughs> so far, you have not demonstrated any typical spoiled only child. Uh, so you're good. Going. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're um, welcome. Yeah, my mom, so she had sort of put that away and and went into the business of photography for many, many years. Um, She worked in stock photography and she was more like in sales of photography, which she really enjoyed too because she's social and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff. But actually it was right around the time my father was getting sick, like really, really sick. My mom, I think as therapy for herself, started doing her own photography again and it's just been nonstop since. I mean, she she got back into it right around then, 2008, 2007. And um, it's just now she's um, she's just doing it like crazy. And she's gotten all of this um, press from it. And she's gotten into all these gallery shows and all these online features and stuff. I'm just so proud of her. I mean, she's... Wow. You know, what is her name if listeners want to look at her work? Susan Rosenberg-Jones. Susan Rosenberg Jones. That's right. Yeah. My, so my mom is Jewish. My dad was black. Yes. Okay. So did you grow up like? So can you talk a little bit about that in sure. terms of growing up and <laughs> and did you know a lot of people who had that situation? Did you feel unique in that way? Um, Even you know, Tribeca is it was a more um, progressive neighborhood as you're describing it. Totally. Um, I didn't, I would not say I knew a lot of people who were in that same boat, but, um, I think growing up in New York certainly, um, made me not feel like a freak for it, you know? Right. Um, I definitely knew like maybe there was one other mixed family at the temple. Um, and at the time, um, I'm sure there are more now. And, um, yeah, and as I as I sort of went into high school and college and stuff, I, I met a couple of more. But um, yeah, I mean, I was certainly one of few. Um, but yeah, living did in New York. Did your dad convert to Judaism? He did not. Um, he did not convert, but he also wasn't really a practicing Christian. Um, so it was never really an issue. He was, you know, happy to participate in the uh-huh. rituals. It was so great. Like when I was a little girl, I, I remember for a brief period of time, we they sort of tried to give me both experiences. Like I definitely remember we had a Christmas tree for a bunch of years and we would do the ornaments and all that stuff. But we always did the menorah and all that stuff. And 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 but one of the best things is that when every single year and this lasted forever because 
Hanukkah stayed with us and Christmas sort of faded. But um, my my mom and I would always light the candles and my dad would be like in the living room, like watching sports or something. And he would mute the TV <laughs> while we were doing the blessings. But he would always pipe in at the end and sing harmonies. <laughs> Just, just like, 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 exactly. (laughs) He would go like, amen. Like, just every time he would. uh, It's just, it's just such a great memory. I just got chills. Like, that's the sweetest because I'm sure every when Hanukkah comes around, I don't know if you still practice, but you must just hear that every time, every single time. In fact, when when we were doing Oklahoma, um, it it fell during Hanukkah, and we, you know, the the Jews, the Jews of the cast and crew and company um, did the blessings together and I couldn't help but sing the harmony on the Amen. It's just like built in. And wow. and I will say, and this is a, I mean, a little bit of a sadder note, but my father, while he did not convert, he did at the very, very end of his life, he asked the then rabbi of the synagogue that um, that they belonged to, to come in and, and say the Kaddish for him. Right. Which I thought was an interesting Beautiful. Yeah. Twist. Well, I when I think, you know, sort of knowing about how old you are and about, you know, how old your parents must have been, mm-hmm. um, was it a very big deal for your parents' parents, your grandparents, that this intermarriage was happening? Yeah, I think so. I mean, my father had had a sort of a a childhood that was, I wouldn't say bad, but um, it was complicated because his, he had seven brothers and sisters and his Mm -hmm. father had left them. And his mom was of course, rightly sort of like overwhelmed. And, um, you know, to hear my dad talk about it, she was sort of horrible to them and then eventually put them all in foster care and all the stuff, which is, you know, stuff happens. Um, but basically he didn't have a relationship with his parents by the time he met my mom. And I should say he was 17 years older than my mom. He was, he was much older, but my, my mom, um, I've asked her about her parents' opinion of it all, and <laughs> I hope she doesn't mind me saying this. Um, but she, I think she just she said that her parents were just happy that my dad was a good man and cared about her because she had been in a relationship prior with some other guy who I think um, was a real jerk and treated her poorly, and um, they eventually split up. and And I think my my grandparents were really relieved that she had, you know, extracted herself from that relationship. And my father clearly adored my mom and was a good man and wasn't going to hurt her. And, you know, so I think, I think while they were, of course, um, I'm sure they had issues with it. (laughs) Um, But they- Well, so many, right? Like- like the religious aspect, the, totally. the fact that he was so much older yeah. than their daughter. Like I think about that, like if my daughter came home with someone so much older, yeah. um, sort of going, huh. I know. That, that person's closer in age to me. I know. Like that would be a very, listen, I hope whoever it is is as sweet as your dad. That's all I can <laughs> hope for. Um, yeah, exactly. So to get back on, on the Rebecca train for a second. Um, so you're starting to sing 
because you can't help yourself. Um, I'm sure your parents, especially having a father who was so musical, were aware of your talent. And were you singing in temple or were you singing in choirs? What was your... Yes and yes. I um, yeah. yeah, my parents were so supportive, which is, which is amazing and a gift. Um, and yeah, I sang in the temple choir. I sang when I went to... I did go to middle school. Um, <laughs> this is so random, but I went to Grace Church School for middle school because um, I was really good friends with um, with a family whose kids went to that school. And I ended up going there for middle school just because it was a great private school. So that was sort of a trip that I was going to this Episcopalian middle school and then like going to like religious school afterwards on some afternoons. But, but Do you like, have a bat mitzvah? Sure did. Okay. So all the things. All the things. And like a good portion of my class at Grace Church School was also at the same synagogue. Like it was, yeah, I mean, that's so New York. Um, Can we just shout out to your synagogue? What? what oh yeah, the like Village Temple. Religion? There you go. East 12th Street, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I will see you there if we're ever able to go to synagogue again. I know, I know. Oi, I know. Oi, I perfectly know. timed. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I sang, so I sang at the Temple Choir. I sang in the Grace Church School Choir. Um, I sang, I actually grew up singing in, at the Metropolitan Opera in the, in the children's choir there. So I sang in the operas from when I was like seven to about 12. Wow. And when you do those operas, are you, uh, supporting the adult productions and getting to know adult performers at that point? Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of part of the experience too. Oh, it was incredible. Yeah. It was, I mean, you showed up, you, um, you had costumes, you were, you know, you were in like a separate, um, green room basically with all the other kids, um, basically until it was your time to go on. So it wasn't like constant being around the adults. It wasn't like, uh, kids who are in, you know, shows on Broadway or anything like that. It wasn't like, we're all just in dressing rooms around each other, but, um, but yeah, we performed together with them and we rehearsed with them for some of the time. So it was, it was such a cool experience. Yeah. I mean, that is really one of the things, I mean, these sorts of things happen all over, but when you grow up in New York and sort of have access, not just to uh, opera, but the metropolitan, yeah. it's, it's such an incredible thing. So I, I know, um, that obviously at some point you fell in love with musical theater because you've devoted so much of your life to it. Mm -hmm. So when did, um, you know, you have, I would assume all kinds of music in your life growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Not just, not just doo-wop. Totally. Yeah. Um, my, my parents listened to a lot of music. I mean, my, they listened to jazz 88 rhythm review. Um, they listened to, old like rock and roll they listen to um soul they listen to a lot of like motown um current stuff my dad was obsessed with anything that had um really tight harmonies so uh, you know that was that was a big part of it so did you start doing musicals in school yeah um i think what what really I mean, it started before before musicals. It started with plays. I was, um, I mean, I I will say, I think growing up doing the opera, just I was so. I think that's how I fell in love with being in a theater. I mean, I think 
the Met is so grand and so beautiful. And especially as a small person, everything is bigger and grander. And um, I just remember being backstage and the way it smelled and seeing set pieces and costumes and being part of this thing that we were doing together that was, um, you know, for other people's enjoyment that I think I just, I got really excited about at a young age. And then aside from that, I also just always loved watching theatrical stuff on TV and in movies, you know, like I loved the Clue movie and I loved that, um, that chorus line movie and stuff like that and Little Shop. And, and then, um, when I was in the sixth grade, my friend Claude Kelly, who is now actually a um, music writer and producer and um, pretty big, big time, um, he sort of dragged me to the auditions for the fifth and sixth grade production of The Jungle Book. We were in choir together. We loved singing together. And he was like, come come audition for this play with me. And I was just like, theater? I don't want to do theater. I don't want to be in a plays. Um, and of course I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with it at the audition, like reading the, I mean, I'm laughing when I say the word sides because we were in sixth grade. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You got your sides. Uh I got my sides for, uh, yeah, for Bagheera the Panther. And, Uh um, you know, and just, I just, that's where it started. I mean, yeah, I did, I did that play and a bunch of other plays and and then musical. That wasn't a musical. That Mm -hmm. was a straight play. Straight play, straight play. But I mean, so theatrical. I mean, we were in like, full body spandex with like fur accents and like animal makeup. I mean, you know. <laughs> nice. So it got you ready for Hedwig. Like you were doing serious makeup. That's right. Well, it all comes together full That's circle. right. That's right. But yeah, I did school plays for for forever and that that really solidified it. Were you one of these kids, were you shy when you weren't on stage and and not shy on stage or were you pretty balanced in that way? I think sort of balanced. I was not shy socially, but I was shy whenever I was put on the spot. Um, Mm. And I'm still sort of that way. Like I remember getting into like a bit of an argument with my father when I was a little girl because like he sometimes he would he would like sort of put me on the spot if people were over and be like hey bunny he called me bunny he'd be like Aww. bunny you know sing this or perform this or play this on the piano and I would just be like so I don't know it, it just felt so vulnerable and scary right. and and yeah right. so well doesn't it still feel that way like like when you're not prepared or expecting oh, to absolutely. perform absolutely Still, you know, I got, I understand that feeling, and and um, and of course, our parents are just so proud of us. Yes, they are, and it's <laughs> they're like they're not trying to like cause pain. No, yeah, they moment. they want to show us off, and they want us to feel good about about what we do. But yeah, it's it's terrifying, and yeah, as an adult, it's almost worse. It's just it's just anxiety. <laughs> well, now it's like the whole audience is calling you bunny, right? Yes. Like we all we all want to see you do this thing and you do it for us. I mean, I first of all, I know that you went to North Carolina mm-hmm. for college. And so I'm assuming that is that the musical theater program that you or is it just a, is it a drama program it's a, a drama program yeah yeah drama program they didn't they didn't have a musical theater program mm-hmm. I, I I looked into some musical theater schools and looked into some um some musical theater programs and looked into some straight theater programs and um 
yeah, ended up choosing North Carolina and I'm so glad I did. I think like someone along the way had said to me, you know, that it was, you know, to, uh, that it was a good idea to, to just go to a straight theater program, especially if I'd already been doing all the singing and stuff. And I was like, okay. And, and yeah, I just, I loved that school so much. But right out of school, I mean, maybe there are gaps that you can fill in, but it looks like Caroline or change and rent happen kind of quickly after. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I, (laughs) yeah, it was kind of amazing. Like I went to a straight theater school. We did maybe one, I think I did one musical at that school. Like the kids who sang did do one musical, um, which was company. Um, but, but other than that, I mean, it was all, it was classics and it was contemporary, but it was plays, plays, plays. And then, yeah. Upon graduating, it was like, okay, musical theater, musical theater calls you. When you leave that college, do you have an agent? Do you, like, what happens? Um, Well, we did, we did our uh, consortium, which I think they're calling Showcase now. And, you know, out of that, some people got agents right away. Some people didn't. I did not get mine out of consortium. I remember feeling like I chose scenes and a song that didn't really, I don't know, didn't really like showcase my stuff. And Do I you think, think that's true or, or do you think they were just idiots? I think, I think, honestly, I think over both of those things, I think it was about my confidence level. I mean, it's just, I, it's, it's taken me a long time and it's still a process to, um, to sort of just like own who I am and, uh, like breathe through, you know, the process. Um, and I think I just, I just, I don't know. I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm misremembering it, but I feel like, I feel like I had a lot of anxiety during that showcase time and, you know, felt put on display, which of course I was and right. um, probably got in my own way. I mean, it was probably fine. I, I, if I asked people from my class, they would have probably been like, you were great, but who knows? Um, so did you, when school was over, did you come back to New York? I did. Yeah, yeah. I stayed with my parents for a bit. Um, and uh, and are you buying backstage and sort of going the tra- – or or maybe by then backstage is online. I'm not sure no, when that no, – I was still – I was buying it. I was buying it. I was – it was like – it was enjoyable to do that. And actually, that's how I ended up doing Rent is because there was a – you know, this, I can't remember if this came before or, yeah, no, this was first. I, I saw that there was an open call for rent and that's, you know, I loved that musical when I saw it and I, and I went and did one of those massive cattle calls and ended up doing this non-equity tour of rent (laughs) for about a year. And who did you play? I played Joanne. I remember going in and very clearly, Michael Greif being like, oh, you're a Mimi, but we've already cast a Mimi. And then he actually looked at my my resume and was like, oh, you went to North Carolina School of the Arts, so you're you're a real actress. You could just – you'll just play Joanne and you'll cover Mimi. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you, Michael Greif. I know. So that's what I did. It was like I played Joanne and I was a cover for Mimi, which really makes no sense, but – did you get to do Mimi also? I did. But again, my confidence was so bad at the time. And and my raging body issues were, oof, they were so bad at the time. And so I just, I, I 
yeah, it was like anytime I went on for Mimi, even though it was like my dream, I always sort of shot myself in the foot with my confidence. I mean, I'm sure, again, it was probably better than I thought it was, but I just, right. oh, I remember but you just, would, oof, stress. You would look at yourself in that costume, in the Mimi costume and not feel good. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, uh, <laughs> I just, yeah, I just was so mean to myself for so long. And is that something that you are still working through or do you feel like you came to a like an aha moment and were able to kind of stay on the other side of self-inflicted pain well, and torture? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I, I, I mean, I know I have gotten a lot better with it in the last five years or so. Um, and I think part of that is just getting older and letting go more. Part of it is having just just developing a better relationship with my body, being more um, consistent with how I treat my body and um, falling in love with exercise. And um, and that just not so much in terms of like, now I'm always fit because I'm not, I'm I'm a fluctuator, but like it, it just gives me a better relationship with my body. But I think also, I mean, I, I've said this a lot to some of my friends that I've been so inspired by these millennials and I guess post millennial whatever the whatever the generation is after millennials who are in this body positive movement and stuff I just feel like seeing more images of women with different bodies and um and being more com- comfortable with their bodies and how they dress and just seeing more of that has helped me so much um, with my own acceptance, and and it's it's a funny thing because I go back and forth between being so inspired by that, but then when I you know when I think about my own body and my own confidence, it's like oh wait, but that doesn't apply to me. I have to be this specific way for you know in order for my brain to feel like I have value and worth. Um, so it's certainly a struggle, but um, but I feel like. I've gotten a lot better at sort of recognizing the thoughts and then being able to be like, well, that's not actually real. You have to you have to just keep it moving. <laughs> well, it's so amazing to hear you say this because when I think of the things that I have seen you in, like like from, you know, early on, so many people in New York got to know you through Passing Strange, mm-hmm. which was this really kind of gorgeous and unique piece of theater that when I saw Hades Town, it was mm-hmm. really interesting. I was like, wow, the way there can't be Hamilton without in the Heights, right? Yeah. There I think there can't be Hades Town without Passing Strange. Totally. There were so many um did you see Hades Town or were you working at the same time and at the same time? I've I've like heard a lot of the songs and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. But there's just something about the present. I mean, it's it's a much fuller, larger kind of piece in sure. terms of the number of people in it and how, um, you know, how big the production is. What right. was so cool about Passing Strange is it stayed really like beautifully bare bones, even in its transition to Broadway. Yeah, um, yeah. It, I feel like, you know, Stu and the roots of that original production really remained intact in so its Broadway true. form also. But just the idea of a certain kind of narrator and, and you know, the Andre de Shields role really reminded me of of Stu. Mm. Um, 
mm-hmm. and just the performing of it, even though they are such uniquely different people, right, 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 level and just uniquely special. But all of this is to say, when I think of Passing Strange, when I think of American Idiot, another one of my favorite shows, mm. um, uh, and of course in. Um, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. all of this is to say you're unbelievably sexy. And oh. so in your body, in these performances, in ways that as an audience member, you're going, oh my God, look at that unbelievably gorgeous human who like is so in her skin. And I think, um, so A, you're a great actress, right? <laughs> so there's a part of you. Um, and also that you allowed yourself and didn't hold yourself back from playing really sexual characters. Yeah. Um, and people who are really in their skin, even if you weren't always feeling that way yeah. off stage. Yeah. Um, and, and is theater a place where you have just given yourself permission um, to play in that way? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think um I think there's something about it that has felt like a good challenge, you know, like something that is a healthy challenge for me. Um mm-hmm. and you know, of course, for all of us it's a it's a way we can sort of you know, briefly at least um sort of escape our own thoughts. I mean, certainly a lot of a lot of theater is not that way. A lot of it is like just navigating your own thoughts and trying to be present, but also, you know, being present as a character and being present as yourself. Um, but yeah, I think I have welcomed uh, the challenge of giving myself over physically and and into characters who are open and, um, uh, yeah, confident and comfortable in their bodies and stuff. I think because it's, I know it's the way it's the right way <laughs> to be, you yeah. know? Um, yeah, I even was, I had to be naked in a production of Big Love a couple of years ago and it was, it was pretty terrifying, but like also I think a good experience. Oh my God. Yeah. It scares me. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> no, even <laughs> now you... I'm like, how did I do that? I don't know. Yeah, how did you do that? How did know. you do that? I don't know. Were other people naked also? Nope, just me. Just you. And top, first scene, first scene of the show. Great. Yeah. I will Good. say that it's it's written in the script, but Tina Landau, who directed it, give did give me the option of like omitting it from the play, but I did feel like it was massively important to the play um, right. that we keep it. So so we did. But yeah, I mean, you know- think about it now. It was, it was terrifying too. Like I had a lot of people be like, you're so brave. And I every time I heard it, I heard it's so brave of somebody who has such a disgusting body to, <laughs> to show. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh my god, Bunny! No, I know, I know, no, I know dude. Of course, of course, our yeah. brains are so powerful. Yeah, of course so that's powerful. What you heard. Right, but I do have to say, when I think of the list, like Tina Landau, Michael Mayer, Michael Greif, mm-hmm. uh, Daniel Fish, like the kinds of like. Um, they're like the poo-poo platter of brilliant directors, right? Like, like yeah. I've worked with the two Michaels. I haven't worked with Tina or, you know, like I know how different they are. Yeah. Um, uh, all of these people creating kind of unprecedented work in all these ways, but they all at the end of the day want you at the center of their thing. And, and by the way, you know, 
more than once because then you come into Hedwig. Right. And, you, you know, did you, did Michael ask you to audition to replace As We Talk or did he have this idea and just go, do you want to do it? Um, well, it sort of was both. I had been brought in to audition at the very, very last minute before the show even happened on Broadway. So they were already, they had been auditioning and I had, I had seen it happening because like all of my friends who were Caucasian were going in for Yitzhak um, for like the months prior. And I think they were down to the call, down to the final callbacks. And I remember very distinctly, I was with my friend Shakina and we were having lunch and um, I got a call from Michael and he was like, honey, I just, I keep where we're, we've been auditioning people for Yitzhak and we're down to the callbacks and I just, it's not traditional, but I keep imagining what your Yitzhak might be. And if, if you're up open to it, we would love to like bring you in for a work session and our final callback. And I was like, absolutely. I love Hedwig so much. I mean, I had fallen deeply in love with the movie actually, which some people um, think that, you know, that, that makes me like less of a fan, but just, I hadn't gotten to see the, 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 show ever and but I had I love how judgmental people are oh right oh you love the movie oh okay yeah I know I I haven't seen the play sorry that movie with so much love like that's just John would be furious if anybody said that I know I know that movie was so I mean it was just so brilliant and heartbreaking and hilarious and just all of it. So anyway, so uh, I was like, of course I would love to. And he was like, but here's the thing. You have to, like, I know this is happening in a few days, but you have to come in full drag. So um, Shakina and I, we were like, we were on, I want to say 11th Street and um, Broadway. And we walked across the street to the Halloween store and got me some glue and facial hair and um I borrowed some man clothes from the guy that I was dating at the time and like prepared prepared like hell for a couple of days and went in and did my audition and um part of the final final was doing a improv with John and John John was not in drag but he did um he basically like brilliantly just became Hedwig and you had to improv with him. And, um, that was just the dreamiest thing of all dreams because I, I was, and still am such a huge fan of his. And, um, you know, basically I got like the nicest email ever that was like, Hey, if this, if John was going to open the show, uh, you would probably have this job because you're, um, chemistry together is just on fire. And, but because the show is opening with Neil, um, it's, it's just a different thing. We, it's, you know, we're hoping to have it be a commercial success and, um, you know, we're going to go with a more traditional thing. And that's not to at all say that Lena is not absolutely deserving and obviously was of amazing course, and of course, yeah. all, all of that. But that's, that's sort of what happened is I was brought in last minute, had a great experience and um, just wasn't the right fit for the time. And so when Lena was leaving, I just got the awesome call from them to be like, hey, how about now? <laughs> wow. Yeah. He meant it. Yeah, he meant it. He meant it. Yeah. That's, that was. Were you, 
heartbroken when he called you the first time to say it wasn't going to happen or were you I don't think I was I don't don't think I was I've had experiences where things didn't go my way that have fully broken my heart but for some reason I think part of it is the way that they handled it you know I mean I've had experiences where people have handled it this way and I just think it makes a huge difference in how you feel um and I've had experiences where people sort of don't don't call you and you find out from a third party or whatever. Yeah. And, and that's just yeah. so much more hurtful. But I think part of it too is that it happened so quickly. Like I didn't have to go through many rounds. It was like a yeah. last minute yeah. call from Michael that was like, hey, can you come and do this? So it all felt like such a whirlwind. And and I felt good about what I had done. And so it none of it felt like bullshit. You know, it just felt like, okay, that makes sense. I totally get it. And then when you went into the show, um, was Darren already in? No, it was – so I luckily got to do it the last couple of weeks of John's John's run. Okay. So you got to do it with John Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, actually I mean, a dream. Actually a dream come true. <laughs> that'll put all those judges – that'll make them quiet. <laughs> That's right. She did it on Broadway with John Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. Maybe not all of us can get to see everything in New York because we don't live here and we have to see the movie. But by the way, not for nothing. Not for nothing. Unbelievable. So you got to do it, which is incredible. Yeah. For a few months. Or did you close out the show? I closed out the show, yeah. So I, I, I think it was like I did two, two to two and a half weeks with John. And then I had, I think, five weeks with Darren. And then another month maybe with Tay. I can't really remember the timing of it uh-huh. all, but yeah. Yeah. And also listeners, uh, Rebecca did one of those great, is it for broadway.com or playbill? Who did oh, you your yes. Blog for? yes. It was broadway.com. Broadway.com. So you can kind of go backstage with her and relive the experience from a few years ago. Yes. Uh, Rebecca Naomi Jones is the attack and really see behind the scenes in ways that, um, it's like an all-access tour. It's incredible. Oh, it was so it was fun. Experience. Yeah, the um, vlog was called uh, Total Package. Yes. Yes. It's <laughs> fantastic. I love those. I obsessively watch. I could spend hours just going from one show to another just watching people do that. Yeah, they're um, great. It's so fun, and and you, you're you just so funny, and oh, you're thanks. so good at it. Um, Oklahoma, I mean, speaking of, like, the idea of, you know, if Yitzhak is non-traditional casting, yeah. you, which is just so crazy, the idea of like Yitzhak, whatever, that's a whole other conversation, totally. what is traditional or non-traditional. But um, obviously, Oklahoma, when most people think of it, um, you know, it's the movie. Yep. That's what most people know. Um, and that you went from St. Anne's Warehouse to Broadway as Laurie Williams in Daniel Fish's production, um, which was really one of the greatest things to come to Broadway in, yeah. in you know, decades. Um, I, I mean, you guys created something uh, from a piece that we thought we knew it it just turned into something you turned it on its head in this way and i'm wondering like i know i know the train had left the station like it had been at bard college and it mm-hmm. had previous you know versions mm-hmm. but how much of 
you know, the making of that very, um, what feels like experimental downtown theater. Mm -hmm. uh, how much of you was, was put into like the making of the whole, like how much input from everyone created the piece that I got to see with Bonnie Milligan and the two of us just held hands and we're like, what's happening this is like the sexiest coolest most disturbing like all the things yeah um and and you at the center of it was just the most exciting thing yeah it was um a lot a lot of input I think that was the coolest thing about working with Daniel um in a sea of things that are cool about working with Daniel but I think he is he he really is not it's not a joke to him to to continue to keep fighting to figure out what the right thing is and to find the truth in every moment. And um, he doesn't like things that are false. So um, I think just, yes, the show had had um, certainly iterations prior to my joining and half of half of the people um, from the final cast joining um, but I think with a whole set of new people came just like more questions to be answered um, that we all answered together. Um, so yeah, it was a trip. I mean, it was like, it was a lot of hard work and um, it was all really worth it. <laughs> Have you ever been in something that wasn't a hit in terms of the audience? I mean, regardless of the critical success of it, mm -hmm. um, have you, I feel like everything you've been in is something where the audience is out of its mind in terms of their enthusiasm. Like I'm thinking American Idiot, I'm thinking Murder Ballad, I'm thinking Love's Labor's Lost in Central mm, Park. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, I've been in a couple things that people have not uh, lost their minds over. I mean, I did this, I did this play... Last year, or the I, I lose track of time now. Um, I guess it yeah. was year before last at the public called um, Fire in Dreamland, um, and it was a tiny play, three person play. Um, that you know, I think a few people really, really lost their minds over, but it was, it was definitely, um, it was definitely not received as well as we all had hoped. Mm. So you um, have that disappointment of yeah. feeling like you're not getting our baby. They don't like our baby. Yeah, exactly. It was, it's, you know, that's tough. It's a tough thing to carry and, um, and also to let go of, you know, you have to just kind of keep going and keep doing your best and, you know, yeah. and then, but then there are, there are always exceptions to the rule, you know, like even doing Oklahoma, I would have people come up occasionally at the, um, autograph line and say, Oh my God, I loved fire and dreamland. It's like, Oh, Oh, great. Aww, so it yeah. mattered. It mattered. Yeah. You know? So Oklahoma, I mean, that really was one of those like really hard to get a ticket. I'm sure you felt standing room only, mm -hmm. night after night, um, was that just, I mean, I, I imagine it was exhausting. Mm -hmm. How did you handle the excitement? I'm sure you had so many press things they were asking you to do mm -hmm. because that comes with the excitement of being in a hit. Mm -hmm. um, how did you balance like the intensity of all of it physically, emotionally? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it was exhausting, I think, because of the press stuff and because of the standing room and also because I'm sure you remember the lights were on in the house for most of the production. So yeah. you're really aware of the audience the entire time, which just adds this layer um, of vulnerability that is so exhausting. Um, and so I found the production itself to be wildly more exhausting than other musicals I've been in, even though I was doing much less dancing uh, in this one. Um, it just was the focus itself was was exhausting. Um, but I think I managed it because I treated myself really, really well. I um, was, I'm somebody who, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic, but I, I'm a drinker and I, uh, was, I was not drinking all week until, except for Sunday nights. Like that's what I was doing was the, the night before the night off is when I allowed myself to have alcohol. Um, I was exercising regularly when I'm doing a musical, I don't do like super intense exercise, but I was doing Pilates, um, on the day off. I was often getting a cheap massage, uh-huh. stretching, eating well, you know, I just drinking a lot of water. I, I was, I, I treated myself like an athlete, and I think that helped a lot um, mentally as well. Was that a tremendously satisfying show to be in? Oh, tremendously. Tremendously. Um, It just felt so honest. And um, while it was, as I said, like one of the hardest things to do and one of the most exhausting things to do, there was also this ease that was – embedded into it because um, the way it was built, there was no other option other than to be present the whole time. Mm. And so, um, and so, (laughs) yeah, it was like, while the focus was exhausting, there was no option other than that. Like, um, there was just not a lot of distraction. It was very bare and it was us talking to each other in a very honest way without any sort of mask on top of it, which I think is part of what was so different about the production from other productions of, of this musical. And I think it was just there. Um, and, and yeah, so that was what was so satisfying about it is I didn't have to work that hard to have the experience sort of wash over me. And every day I was, I felt like I was processing because, um, the character was on stage for so much more of the show than she is necessarily in the script. I mean, there's like scenes that are technically not scenes that all of the characters are in, but we are all still present on stage. And so all of that active listening just sort of helped um, the map of the character's journey sort of fall into place every night um, without a whole lot of labor, which was cool. Did you know Ali Stroker before this show? Had you worked together before? Were you aware of each other? Um, we were aware of each other. We had never really worked together. We had done maybe one or two concerts together um, of like Shana Tao music, I think. Maybe mm-hmm. at like Ars Nova there was one and maybe there was probably one other one a- along the way. So we definitely knew each other, but we um, we really didn't know each other well. So that was another treat of the experience. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, if anyone hasn't seen it or, or clips on YouTube, it's an extraordinary thing at how, um, 
normalized it was to have a character in a wheelchair. And Ali Stroker is such an incredibly brilliant actress and singer and just a really magnetic performer. And there would have been no one better for that part. And there was a way in which it was just, you know, it just was. Yeah. And I was that like that experience of watching that. Oh, it was so amazing. And I think, uh, again, I'm going to, I'm going to give it back to Daniel because uh, like massive amounts of rehearsal time. And I don't mean that like time wasted. I mean, important rehearsal time was given to, okay, Allie, how do we make this work for you? Like what, in this scene, how, how can you, how would you physically do this? How would you physically get up on this table? What would this scene partner need to do to get you into this position? And how would you get from here to there uh, with speed or how, you know, it was like a lot of Daniel just being open and relaxed and asking questions and, um, and working together to make that to make it feel natural and to make it feel normalized so that by the time we were in performance, um, there were no questions. Well, she was, she was so amazing. Yeah. She got a Tony. <laughs> she got a Tony. I mean, that she's, she's such an inspiration to me because like, like there's that confidence. Like she's, she's knows who she is. She's comfortable with who she is. She's confident. Mm-hmm. Um, her father is a, a motivational speaker, so I think she just has grown up with um, that really healthy mindset about her. Um, and so, yeah, she's 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 so inspiring. Yeah, I hadn't realized. I think I was talking to oh, I can't remember because I have a lot of conversations with people, but I didn't realize that this wasn't she wasn't born this way. I didn't yeah. realize that she had been in a car accident. Yeah, at a very young age. Right. And so anyway, she's just a glorious, glorious human and yeah. a really beautiful performer. And all of you were so incredible together. Yeah. I, I, anyway, I loved it. I loved it. I loved every second of you in it. And I just thought your, your, um, what you brought to that role, like that's all I'll ever think of when I hear songs from that show for the mm-hmm. rest of my life. Like mm-hmm. that is you. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit before we go, because when we talked earlier about all the ways in which people are being creative and using this time to find new ways of sharing work, um, you just did something called Bleeding Love, a musical Mm -hmm. as in podcast form. Yeah. Like, can you tell me about it, what it is and and how we're going to get to hear it and what it was like making something um, in your home that will you interacting with other people when we listen to it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, so Bleeding Love is a post-apocalyptic musical, rock musical, and uh, it is about <laughs> it's about a group of people who are shut in um, because it's too dangerous to be outdoors. Um, and so my good friend Harris, who actually I lived with for a while way back when after I left my parents' house, after I graduated from college, um, my friend Harris... Uh, reached out to me uh, about a month ago saying, hey, well, this musical that I had been working on for a while um, is going to um, is going to have a, a life uh, via podcast. Would you be would you be up for being a part of it? Um, and of course, I was and am. And um, yeah, I just I, I uh, 
I just thought it was <laughs> frighteningly appropriate uh, for the times right. we're in. Um, and oh, yeah. Wow. And is there, so how would you do it? Would you record your bits of dialogue um, in the way that we're recording now with each other? Or did you do it all as solo things in, in your separate spaces? Well, we did, um, the the bulk of it we did all together. We did do um, like a Zoom call just so we could see each other. And then we were using Zencaster to record. And we had uh-huh. amazing Alan Seals um, working, manning the recording situation, which was really great because, you know, a bunch of bunch of people on one call trying to make this thing work. It definitely had its technical difficulties and um and so we recorded all together, which was really nice. But then, of course, um, some things weren't really captured that well. And I, th- I think I personally was having some issues with the connection that I was in, especially the Airbnb that I was in at the time. So I ended up having to go back in and record some stuff um, alone, which was, you know, it's not ideal. But luckily, we had done it all together so I could remember the energy and the inflections of my fellow actors. So, um, yeah, it was, I mean, it's a trip. And did you, (laughs) wait, so did you do, did you sing together or are, is everyone singing like solo performances? Oh, right. So I forgot to mention that we had actually done a demo of Bleeding Love. I had done a demo of Bleeding Love a couple of years ago. Um, and I, think everyone involved in this podcast had been a part of that demo. So actually our voices were already, our songs were already recorded except for a few. Yeah. So I did have to re I had, I did have to record one little (laughs) insane bit of music, uh, just like so high and so loud. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, um, sorry neighbors, but, um, but yeah, so that luckily that part was, 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 done. So I think that would have been the hardest, um, the hardest thing to, to capture. But the cast is amazing. It's you, it's Annie Golden. It's <laughs> yeah. Taylor Trench. Who else is in it? Um, <coughs> excuse me, Mark Kudish. Mark. Wow. Uh, Sarah Stiles. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, uh, Tony Vincent. It, I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous group of people. Yeah. I mean, it was really funny to get in on that zoom call and just like, look at all these faces. And it was just yes. like, what a dream. Do, you know do you know when that starts airing? I think really soon, like maybe tomorrow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I well, could be wrong, but I, I think possibly tomorrow is, is what I heard. All right. Well, the great thing about these things is they live forever. Um, yeah. all the places that you get content. Um, so I just wanted to ask in terms of production being halted for genius, the Aretha Franklin story, mm-hmm. have they, what have they said? I mean, I'm just curious in terms of, I've been talking to people who are, were, were in various kinds and types of productions and there's been different answers, um, in terms of when things may or may not start up again. So what, how have they handled it for you guys? Yeah, the, you know, it's all up in the air. Of course, the fear, I think for so many people, Um, I think so many people are concerned now, of course, that um, things just won't get picked back up and that, that productions will be dropped. We did receive an email from Disney saying, um, have no fear. This is something that's important to us. We will pick it back up. We just have to sort of wait and see, you know, when we're all allowed and when we're all safe and figure out how it's all going to work and schedules and 
safety precautions and all that. So, you know, the short answer is who knows. Before we go, is there like a little known fact about you that you can share? Oh, yes. Actually, I knew that this was going to be part of the interview and I was like, what do I, what do I, what do I have? And of course I asked my mom and she offered me two things. I'll, I'll give you one of them. She said, you should tell them that you have an amazing sense of direction. I do have a pretty special sense of direction, um, walking direction because of growing up in New York. I, I, um, I can be in a new city or a new town and very, very quickly understand the lay of the land. So I remember um, just being on a vacation with my mom years ago and she was so impressed because we were in Paris and I just like immediately understood where we were, how to get to point B, you know, all of that. So that is not a very interesting fact, but it is in fact a fact. Well, that is a fact that you are like our own Google map. That's, that's right. Not, that's not nothing. That's right. But don't ask me about driving directions because I will not I will be not. able to help. <laughs> I will not. I will end this uh, podcast before asking you that. Um, Rebecca Naomi Jones, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. You're such um, a beautiful human and I'm so glad we got to have this time with you. I really am too. This was such a pleasure. I am so excited to share some news with you guys. For the last few months, I've been working on another project that I've been calling Little Known Facts 2.0, Stage Network, an incredible new streaming platform which promises to be Netflix for theater lovers, asked me to do Little Known Facts as a filmed series, a talk show, as it were, in front of cameras. And I really thought about it for a long time because the thing that's made this podcast so special is that all of my guests have been able to share deep, intimate truths about their lives because we are in this tiny, comforting, confessional that is the podcast booth. And I really had to think hard, could I still deliver the same kind of intimate, raw, hilarious, and unique interviews if cameras were involved? But I think I figured it out. And I'm so grateful to Stage Network for allowing me to make my dream of sharing incredible friends with you in this whole new way. So I shot six episodes. The first one uh, is with Ben Platt. Other guests include Celia Keenan-Bolger, Zachary Quinto, George Salazar, Nikki M. James, John Slattery, and I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to share them with you. Stage Network really is an amazing place. Not only is it filled with incredible original content, uh, it has licensed so much theater-related content, documentaries and films and all sorts of incredible programming. I feel like I dreamed up a network and someone else created it and here it is. And the fact that I'm involved in even a small way with this incredible, incredible network is just truly an honor. So to that end, uh, to watch all of the content, including Little Known Facts, the series, go to watchstage.com. Enjoy and I hope you like it. Little Known Facts is edited by Nicholas Klar and recorded in New York City. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.